Today's scripture is from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 6. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of who, her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out abroad, excuse me, to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood will be, uh, you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of all the earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. As we get settled in here, let me just make a quick note. My name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, I would say, I'd like to let you know that Dave Goffney, our lead pastor, is, at, um, is preaching in Flagstaff, and he said, hello, He's not gone anywhere. He's in Flagstaff preaching at Redemption, at another Redemption congregation. Obviously, Dave loves us, and he's over there preaching, so um, great. I'm going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into uh, the word for today. I just want to say, I would like to just offer up um, five loaves and two fish, what God gave this week. We're going to offer them up. And I hope it's enough for all of us this morning. It'll be more, there will be a surplus, I'm sure. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, uh, for life, for the gift of life, the gift of eternal life for your Son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every heart and mind here this morning that um, is present, that we will all hear from you, not from Marcus, though, but hear from you something that is, will find its roots deep into our hearts and bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I was about halfway through the sermon when I realized I didn't have my timer going, so I didn't know where I was at. So let's do that right now. Uh, there we go. Um. This morning, I'm going to be speaking from Isaiah chapter 54, and if you're unfamiliar with Isaiah, I will kind of hopefully introduce you to the prophet Isaiah and kind of his time and where we're headed this morning. But before we do that, 
uh, the ushers, if you need a Bible, just kind of ra- just raise your hand and we'll hand you a Bible. I will be preaching from the Bible. Uh, so if you don't have one, if you can connect with me on your devices, that would be great. The ushers will hand you a Bible. That is yours to keep if you need one. Uh, so please take advantage of that this morning. It's one hand in the back I see. Thank you. Thank you. I always like to remind uh, each of us, myself, uh, and every person who stands in this place during a service, that James, the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1, says to all preachers and teachers, do not, who, do not strive to be teachers, but those who teach will be judged more strictly. We who stand in this place in the service and teach, and God has trusted us, we will be judged more harshly and more strictly. That convicts me, it carries me, it tells me that whatever the Bible says, I have to preach. I have to be courageous, I have to be gentle, but I have to say what it says the best, of how, the best way I know how. Amen? Amen? Amen. In November of 2016, the issue, the November issue of, of Christianity Today, anybody know Christianity Today magazine? Anybody still get magazines? I'm putting myself out there. <laughs> I love Reader's Digest, but you guys already know that. Um, the cover story of Christianity Today magazine was entitled Outpacing Persecution. It was a long article written by Jeremy Weber about the growth and the challenges of the church in the country of India. Long thought of as a missionary's graveyard, India has been a hard soil for, for Christianity, for, for missionaries, for churches to be planted. That description nowadays seems outdated. Some parts of India have gone from graveyards to vineyards, he said. The Christian movement amongst the Dalit people who were outcasts in, the India, in India's class system had been just noteworthy. The church was growing. The church is growing, right? Great answers to prayer. Despite the ever-present threat of violence and political persecution, these relatively new believers in India were persevering in this one location. One pastor was publicly humiliated, actually. He was beaten. He was put on a donkey for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people who live in that part of the world, seemingly marginalized and persecuted, are unlikely converts to Jesus. Yet they continue to multiply, they continue to enlarge their meeting spaces and continue to make room for more and more believers in Jesus. This is, of course, one example of countless places around the world where people who have little to celebrate are joyful and are celebrating. In our passage this morning, the prophet Isaiah is encouraging the people of Israel, the original readers of what we're going to encounter this morning, in this passage to prepare and to live in anticipation of abundance, despite their circumstances. This passage from Isaiah is using poetry to express a hymn of praise to God, to reveal a promise of salvation, a proclamation of salvation. The metaphor that he uses here, I will say I'm well aware that it is, sens- it is a sensitive issue for some. This morning, we'll talk about living in anticipation of abundance, meaning living in anticipation of much more that is to come. In verse 1, 
we are introduced to, the, to, to someone, right? Let's, verse 1 in chapter 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. The passage begins with a double, a double imperative. Sing and cry out loud. It's not just a suggestion to, to, the, to the barren woman, but a suggestion, but not a suggestion, but a command. It's telling someone to do something. Command here, like I said, sing and cry out loud to a very unlikely person. In the context, in the society of that time, women who did not have children or weren't married didn't really have much to be excited about. It is to a barren woman, a woman who could not and does not have children, in a culture where bearing children increased the value of a life of a woman. In a culture and context where women without children were relegated to a life of insecurity and uncertainty. God is saying, cry out loud, rejoice. If you didn't have children or you didn't have a husband back then, you didn't have a secure future. That was cultural. You didn't have an inheritance. You didn't have kind of a covering, right? Loneliness and fear were constant companions of yours. To be childless and to be husbandless was a life of poverty, kind of a slow death. The Bible does not condone this. That is the culture. That was the culture. In Genesis 30, is a story. By the way, anytime the Bible mentions barrenness and childness, there's something great that is coming, right? There's something great that is coming. The wife of Jacob in, in, in Genesis chapter 30, Rachel, says this perfectly. In, in, in Rachel and, 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 and Jacob were looking, were wanting, were, dire, were in dire need of a child, and they couldn't have a child, and they were waiting. And Rachel, sister Leah, is having, a, is having children upon children, and she is not having any children, and she says to Jacob, give me children or I die. The culture and the context put intense pressure on women to bear children, socially, economically, and even spiritually. Having children increase your likelihood of wealth in an, agra- in an agrarian and military society. It feels like I can't talk this morning. It, happen- <laughs> it happens, by the way. When I, when I call somebody from Liberia and I get into my language for a while, so yesterday I did that, and so you know, I got to come back, right? You got to come back. I'm talking to Americans here this morning. <laughs> when an imperative to sing is directed at the barren woman, it seems very countercultural at best and cruel at worst. Why? Why should a woman who has no children in that context sing? Because God is trying to say there is something greater than her circumstance. As painful as it is, there is something way better. God is calling her to live in anticipation of abundance. Poetically, it is understood by scholars that scholars concur that Isaiah is using this as a metaphor for God's people. So this is not just to a single woman or just women. It is to the, the, the people of Israel. God's people, God is saying, rejoice because there is a change in your condition that is coming. Though you are like a widow, a barren woman without a husband, they should, God is saying you should prepare to celebrate as if you have a family. Though there were a people without a home, without care, without a king, without protection or land to call their own, they should prepare for such things. 
God is saying, don't prepare for death as most widows and childish women do. Prepare for life. Cry tears of joy. Plant something in a season of planting and get ready. How a poor and marginalized people in society can live as if they are not is a question for God. Here's what God commands her to do in verse 2. He says, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Do not hold back. God counters and reverses culture. So how is she to live? She is to live counter to what the society and the context of what that era said to live. God is using the metaphor of a childless woman to refer to Israel, right? They are in captivity. Their cities lay in ruins. There are no, there are no inhabitants in their city, right? No life. Nothing seems to be flourishing, yet God says to Israel, go ahead and enlarge your tent. Get prepared for abundance. In Psalm 113, verse 9, God says, the psalmist writes, God, he, the psalmist writes, talking about God, he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Some of the hardest life circumstances are those where our hopes are unfulfilled. Some of the hardest circumstances that we face in our life is when our hopes are unfulfilled. In combination with familiar and societal pressures when things don't work out like they should, it's incredibly lonely. When you could not have children in those times, the pressure, the sadness, the loneliness, again, it is a metaphor for Israel's condition. They are conquered by a foreign army, army and God appears to have abandoned them. In those days, people lived in little houses, and, and, and women who didn't have children lived, even in, lived, lived in even smaller houses. So for God to say, go ahead and not only just build a house, but build a tent outside of your house, in addition, and then make that tent bigger, you won't be able to, you're saying, you won't be able to contain the family that is coming for you. The family that I have for you is going to exceed your expectations. Way back in Genesis 11, we are told about a woman named Sarah. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know this story. She was married to a man named Abram. The Bible says in verse 30, she was barren. And then in chapter 15, God came to Abraham in a vision. Back then, his name was Abram. He says, I want you, Abraham, to go outside. I know you and Sarah are desperate for children, for you need somebody to carry on your legacy, to be your heir. And the Bible says God brought him outside. And he said, look toward the heaven, Abram. The number, can you number the stars if you can? Number them if you can. So shall your offspring be. What I'm trying to say is to, for you to make the connection that God takes care of those who are marginalized, who can't understand why is it that they're going through things that they cannot understand. God is trying to tell Abram from, from Genesis to keep on living in expectation of a blessing. As the people of God, you look, to, well, you look at our world and we seems like, it seems like God has left. I don't know if you get that feeling sometimes. It seems like God created the heavens and the earth and then he took off. Because things are just happening that don't please him, right? But he has made a promise. Let me show you so you can connect the dots this morning. 
before I, before I get there, let me just say this. As much as we like to think that we in this society have gone past that era, we still put pressure on women. We still, there's an expectation. Can I get an amen somewhere? Right? There is still that, 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 that situation may not be extreme, but there's still a sense of loneliness. And I am sensitive to that. Last week, we're here in chapter 53, and we recognize that Jesus is the one who was promised, the servant who was to come. The words of the Bible are inspired, I will say, but the chapter divisions are not. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. The numbers in the Bible, someone else put there. So I want you to read 53 and 54 kind of together is what I'm saying. Right? The chapter divisions are not inspired. As it was written, right, we know chapter 53 last week was written in the past tense, right? Most of this week is written in the future tense. Here's what that's trying to say, right? So then perfect, right? Here's what, here's, what, here's what that is communicating. What happened in 53 gives birth to what will happen in 54. Ah, oh, man. We getting there. We getting there. We get there, right? Your couches are safe today, by the way. I don't think I'm going to get on them, right? But we get there. Why prepare? Why prepare to live this way? The ultimate truth is that God is in control. What happened in 53, like I said, gives birth to what God is going to do in 54. Verse 3, for I will spread abroad for, sorry, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. It doesn't sound like real English when it says people the cities, right? He's trying to get across that you will overrun places that are completely desolate. Because of Jesus and what Jesus has done in 53, because of the servant, your family, he's saying, will get bigger. The people of Israel, you need to make room. Your family is going to get bigger, right? It may, feel, it may feel like you're a barren woman right now, but you will have a family. Because of the servant's sacrifice in chapter 53, the family of God will get bigger. It will include more people. In the immediate future, you will go and repopulate your home, he is saying. But when you get back to Jerusalem, just know that when you get back to land, there are more people coming. It's more than that. One commentator put it this way. He says, a woman who was barren, who, who never bore a child, without a child, in fact, who is desolate, without a chance to conceive since she was without a husband's care, will actually have more children than the one who has a husband. There is more natural, there is no natural explanation of this fertility. He's trying to clear all the boundaries. God is saying, there's just no way that this, this what I'm telling this woman could come true naturally. It can only come true supernaturally. She's saying that the nations will come from you. Thus, out of the servant's work, both the Abrahamic and Davidic promises are fulfilled. What I'm trying to say is God had promised Abraham back in the day that when you look up in the star, when you see the stars, your children will be more than you can number. He told David the same thing. All those promises, God said, I'm still keeping with you. I'm still going to keep those promises. Because of what Jesus will, what because of what Jesus has done, there will be more children of God. Somebody is getting it. There will be more children of God than you are able to have in this house, and the children won't be natural. 
there's a hint here of adoption, of people who aren't naturally God's chosen people, who don't come from the Israelite lineage, somebody's getting it, but people you can't see, but God has a bigger plan. Those people are in the future. When Abraham is looking at the stars, he's there, I say, he's looking at you and I. He is speaking both to the immediate readers and hearers, but also deep into time. They say in the hood, if you don't know, now you know. (laughs) He is speaking, he is talking, he is giving word that, hey, there are people that are going to come to God and be in my family that aren't of Israelite lineage. Do you feel feel special right now? Y'all don't act like y'all feel special. (laughs) God will not forget. He will not forsake. Right? He will not leave us in disgrace, it says in verse 4. A God who is alive and faithful does not forget his people. He didn't just make the world and then roll out. So do not be afraid. Do not fear, right? I won't leave you high and dry, which, by the way, is an American idiotic expression, and I'm not sure what that means, but I'm using it, right? He will not leave you high and dry, right? <laughs> Prepare as if you're, you have something, something coming. I got your back. You will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, meaning do not be humiliated. You will not be disgraced. Can you imagine a young woman today in her 20s buying a house of 16 rooms in anticipation? She's single, and she buys a house, and maybe she buys an estate, right, of rooms, 16, 18 rooms, because she's in expectation. What would you say to her? Huh? If God has told her something, and she's preparing. What has God told you that you need to be preparing for? As the metaphor shows, there was in that time, there's there in some place that, that, that there are in some places a sense of inadequacy, right? There is a sense of perhaps of shame in, in, in the people of Israel and in the metaphorical, in a metaphorical barren woman. That back then there was a fear and a lack of protection. If I built this big thing, who's gonna take care of it? Widowhood or childlessness would have carried a sense of great disappointment. The people of God are disappointed, dare I say, with God. They have almost no reason to be joyful. God is on your side. I'm going to tell you a story. When I was a refugee, and I didn't quite, I I feared God, but I'm not sure I loved them. When the news came that, that, that both my, that was an orphan, that both my parents had been killed, it was completely, it was, it was sad, it was a fact that both my parents had been killed, and I'm a refugee living in another country. I remember this lady, for the first time, someone asked me for the first time and said, where are your parents? And for the first time in my life, I was 12 years old, and the words came out of my mouth. I don't remember if I said my parents had died, or my parents were killed, or I was an orphan. But those words came out of my mouth for the first time, and for the first time I felt incredibly lonely. And I remember her saying, and I didn't know where this verse was, and she said, God, Romans 8.28, God cares for people, who, you know, that I don't know, you guys know the verse. Um, God takes care of those 
who, according to his will, right? God works all things out for good according to those in his will. There you go, right? There it is. And I thought, how insensitive. I fear God, but I'm not sure I love him, and I'm not sure he loves me. Maybe some of you this morning are feeling that way. In your circumstance, individually or perhaps collectively, you're thinking, I'm not sure that God knows about my circumstance. I think he created me and then he rolled out. God takes a barren woman filled with grief, downtrodden, solitary, like the nation of Israel, conquered, and tells them to shout and rejoice. God is saying our situations are temporary. As painful as they may be, God sees you. God is reminding the Israelites that even though they are in exile, seemingly forgotten, they will ultimately be joyful because their family is getting bigger. To be a widow, like I said, or a childless woman back then meant a life of relational isolation, financial insecurity, and spiritual anguish. I want you to think of who are the most vulnerable in our society today. Who are the relationally isolated people? Who are the financially insecure? Who are the most spiritually anguished people? A lot of people come to mind. What do those people have to hope in? What do they have to hope in? What do we, let's say, have to hope in? I have a friend who was a chaplain in a women's prison in Colorado. And she holds services on Friday nights. The women in the prison would gather in in their chapel and worship, and she leads that service. Because of the prison rules, they aren't allowed to touch. No one can high-five. No one can hug. Inmates cannot touch each other. No hugs, no handshake, nothing. Imagine surrounded by all of these people, praising the Lord, and you can't reach over. It seems inhumane. I understand the letter of the law of perhaps why they would say, why they would make rules like that. But every Friday night in that prison, on the front row of the chapel, is reserved for those for whom this is their last service. The ladies who are getting out, who are going back into the world, isolated no more. When when, when she describes the scenes of the women saying goodbye, it will make you cry. When she describes the tears and the prayer time for those who are serving life sentences and have no opportunity to get out, Encouraging those who are leaving. Those who will never see freedom. Praying for those who they will never see again. It's, it's tearful. When I think of the most isolated people, I think of people like those women. The most isolated, lonely, seemingly hopeless, left feeling hopeful, left feeling hopeless, but still have a tremendous amount anticipating abundance because Jesus is their king, because Jesus has changed their lives. If that seems too churchy for you, 
Let me go a little bit further. Many of us these days have a sense of loneliness. Maybe we're living in a little house, and God has told some of you to prepare for more people to come. But you're like, I I don't know if I believe that. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're feeling financially insecure, spiritually anguished, or or relationally you feel isolated. The tent that the barren woman created back then, metaphorically, is large enough for you. If you're financially insecure, the tent is large enough for you. If you're spiritually anguished because life has, turned, life has not turned out the way you wished it would, there is room in the tent for you. It was an old song that folks used to sing, and I'm not going to sing, don't worry. <laughs> there is room at the cross for you. Anybody know that song? Is that, am, I, am I just putting myself out there at 44? No? Okay. This passage is not speaking to the wealthy specifically, all the well-established, all the spiritually flourishing. It is a metaphor directed at those who are spiritually exiled, those who who feel invaded and plundered and disgraced. It is written to those who have trouble feeling or seeing themselves as part of God's plan. Do you see yourself as part of God's plan? Do you see your life as part of God's plan? Or do you feel forgotten? Go back to that little boy in the, in, as a refugee, 12 years old, and parents are gone, and I'm sitting there. I'm working on a family. I'm living with a family that I didn't even know, and I'm working on their farm, uh, corn and pigs. And I would sit there some days and, and think, how did I get here? I'm, I, I got malaria, and I'm just trying to make life happen. And this family is saying, hey, you can take care of our pigs. And they had a son my age, and you can work the corn. You can help us pick the corn, and you can go to school. And I thought, two years ago, I had everything. And I had great hopes and dreams. And now I have nothing. And folks are quoting Romans 8:28, and I don't feel so loved. What I lacked as a 12-year-old, which most 12-year-olds, is the long view of life. Maybe some of you are here today. Your present circumstances have shielded you from the long view of life. Enlarge your tent. Maybe you're going through a health circumstance right now. Enlarge your tent. Maybe you're lonely right now. Enlarge your tent. If you have trouble believing what God God's general promises for you, go ahead and start enlarging that tent. Whatever you're thinking that God cannot work out because the circumstances seem too dire, go ahead and start preparing. Because verse 5, God says, I am the God of the whole earth. He's reiterating the inclusion of those who aren't naturally heirs to the covenant. Go ahead. God says, I am the God of the whole earth, right? You, you're, the people that are coming, the people that are coming into your tent, people of Israel, are going to be more than you can ever imagine. They're going to be so different. They're gonna, it's going to be so huge. We see that now. We see people in, in, in India. We see people in Africa. We see people in Europe and South America coming into that tent. Not naturally heirs, but adopted in. 
adopted in. I was so glad. I didn't get adopted, but my brother and my sister-in-law took me in. My parents were gone. And I became part of their family for 15 years. Adopted in. You just want something. When you're lonely, you just want somebody to care for you. You just want somebody to say, I see you. God's going to see you. And I want to say that publicly this morning. If you're in a place where you don't feel like you're part, you're underneath the tent, you have a covering, God sees you. And he cares. We are all children who have been brought into the tent, not because of our ethnicity or inheritance, but we're because we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In that way, we are no different than the new believers in India. We are no different than new believers in South Africa, right? We need to make room so you don't just come into the tent and stand there. Uh-oh. You got to make room. You got to make room because someone made room for you. That tent is big enough. Go ahead and make room. So don't go home and be like, yeah, I got my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to heaven, just me and God, and I'm going, no, go ahead. Go ahead and make some room. We are adopted into the family, right? Not by law, but by God's grace and promise. We are like the nation of Israel, right? Exiles in a foreign land, and we, have, we are living in anticipation or abundance. This is not our home. We are in exile, as you know. Go ahead and enlarge that tense. Live like there's more to come. Way back in Genesis 15, like I said earlier, I believe that when God took Abraham outside in that vision and he looked at the stars, he was looking at the future family of God. Didn't have any children. Was way past childbearing age. Nothing naturally could have happened that made sense for him to have children. Matter of fact, he said, A man named Eliezer, is Eliezer my servant? Is he gonna be my heir? God says, No. I have something for you that is bigger than you can ever imagine. That vision that Abraham saw includes you and me. We ought to live in anticipation of abundance. Live in anticipation of a miracle. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We love what you've done. We love what you're doing. Heavenly Father, we are invited in to this enlarged family tent that encompasses multiple languages multiple people, different ethnicities. Help us make room from the far reaches of the corners of the earth. We've all been adopted in. Heavenly Father, you know where we are going. You are the God of the whole earth, you said. Lord, we thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.